0: And welcome back to another episode of the build shop podcast i am one half of your hosting crew ryan brath and i'd like to welcome my co-host to the show mike how are you doing this week
1: rb i am fantastic a good start to the week already so it's gonna yeah, be a good well,
0: week what's going on what was what kickstarted your week so far on this lovely monday oh wait mm. sorry sorry this well yeah no screw it you know we're giving tip behind the curtain it's monday we record on mondays so
1: we record on mondays no i'm busy 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 start to the week had uh Some conversations uh, regarding new product for this, or I guess 2022, uh, hosted the first year Humber students for the professional golf management program uh, as a careers day kind of thing at the studio, which was pretty fun. Um, So, yeah, no, good, uh, good start to the
0: week. So before we get into our first topic, I want to ask you about that because how many, how many students are in that program specifically? Cause for those that don't know, uh, Humber college is like a, a big, like full, they do all kinds of stuff. It's not like a professional golf college that you kind of like used to see. And, uh, how does that program work for those students? Cause I know that when people ask about, you know, where we find talent for people that work at TXG, uh, you know, we do draw from that program as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Actually this year, um, This first year group,
1: there's, uh, I think there was 28 kids. Um, it was great to see quit kids. I mean, there were some guys older than me. It was great to see some, some ladies in the program as well, which is awesome. Um, big international group this year as well. Um, and big countrywide group, not just provincially, which is pretty cool to see as well. Um, so the programs programs in a good spot, but yeah, we do, we do pick from that program. I know Patrick, one of our fitters, he, you know, we stole him from the program and, you know, I'm a, I'm a disciple, Dean's a disciple, Anthony, our builder's a disciple. Um, so there's, there's quite a few, you know, good old Humber Hawks uh, in the, uh, in the company. And there's, there's actually a couple that I've, you know, Ian and I've sat down and chatted with over the last couple of weeks for, you know, it's a, it's a co-op placement job. So it's uh, we've, we're chatting for summer co-ops for a couple guys and um, a third year who's graduating um, this, this spring, who's potentially wants to become a fitter. So, um it's it's a good program it's i sit on the board at at the at humber on the on the like the pgm board and um we're doing a lot of things to to make the program a lot better than what it was when i was there uh it was a great program when i was there but uh we're trying to make it more enticing to to get kids to to stick in the program and and ultimately graduate plus stay in the industry the the drop-off rate is is too big for for what it is and uh it's a shame because you know, meeting a bunch of kids that I met today, um, you know, the, the local golf industry could be, you know, so, so different in the next three to five years for the better, which was pretty cool. So excited to see where that goes. And, uh, I had, I think I had like three resumes emailed to me after the, uh, after the program. So there's some eager kids and they're understanding that there's, there's an opportunity to have a career
0: outside of a pro shop, which, uh, which I like, um, creating for them. I think that's a, that's a really important like element that a lot of people don't realize. And a lot of students don't realize when it comes to the golf industry, because especially from our side of things, right? Like this is a, is a growing side of the golf industry and it's not just us. There are other club fitting and club building companies out there. Like, look, let's be real frank here. We got club champion. We got true spec. There's a number of them in the industry that are like companies that are are growing because there was a demand for knowledgeable people within the industry. And the big thing is the fact that, you know, club building isn't even taught in a lot of places, right? That's the thing that always shocks me is the fact that I remember being somewhere and we would have students come in and they'd be like, well, how'd you get into this? And I was like, well, I got into, my, into it when I was in my garage and I was like 12, like that's where it started. It's like anything else. Like there's really not a lot of say quote unquote bike repair people. Right. But those people that know are very good at it. But, you know, there's a little difference between maybe bike repair or whatever, and and those kind of like in club building, because there are so many of these detailed little elements that the industry is always changing. As far as, you know, when I started, there was no shaft adapters. That like (laughs) it seems so kind of stupid, but it is one of those things where it just happens to be that things are always constantly changing. You have to learn and you have to develop. And it is, I think it's, I think it's a really cool part because a lot of people don't realize that there is a lot of education in the background as far as what goes into it. And, and it's not just, you know, talking about golf and swing and all those things, but the business element, the business side of it is very important. I think it's something that, um, I know these programs do very well. Now, the next thing I want to touch on really quickly, and I know there's a couple of layers to this <clears throat> is this weekend's F1 race in Brazil. Now, if you add up all the, uh, the tallies, um, pardon me lewis hamilton had a 25 place deficit and somehow still won in a field of 20. so what do you think of the race overall just the performance in general and then i know you've got a team that you like to root for right yeah no it
1: was it was a nice um it was a nice weekend for the uh the italian stallions um we finally had some cars that could could drive around the track um you know I. I think I converted one of our fitters, Patrick, into a Formula One fan. He he got the bug on the weekend, and he's unfortunately an Aston Martin fan because he watched James Bond on the weekend. So he noticed that Lance Stroll finished dead last, and the fact that Nikita Mazepin finished better than him really tells you you had a sheep race. Pardon the, I guess we can bleep that out. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean an interesting weekend. Lots of confusion on Saturday, even for myself during during a fitting. I I couldn't really understand if he was fully disqualified or if he was disqualified from the sprint or, or what it was. So, um, you know, the, the FIA have very different ways of, um, using verbs to to make things, you know, sound right. And, yeah. If you think uh, the rules of actually, golf
0: are complicated, Holy smokes. Yeah, I saw that, it was I, like I thought, eight pages we, they put out.
1: The interesting one I saw, I was watching, we, we have a sky sports, um, kind of box at work and, mid-fit I was I was I was like said to the guys like listen I need to I need to listen to this so he was a Formula One fan as well the guy I was fitting so um we were watching it and and the FIA reports the Brazilian Grand Prix and even the guy on Sky Sports goes technically this isn't even legal he goes this is not the Brazilian Grand Prix this is the San Paulo or whatever however you pronounce it uh Grand Prix, Grand Prix and um there was a lot of messy things a lot of confusion on Saturday but Um, I watched the highlights on the race Sunday, didn't catch it live, but it was, it was good. It was great to see. I think, you know, that's Hamilton giving you a big British salute to beating everyone, but it was, it was impressive. I was happy for Mercedes and, uh, you know, I'm not a massive Hamilton fan. I I respect the guy. Um, you know, he is one of the greatest drivers that any of us have seen, but, um, nice to, nice to keep Max, uh, in his place.
0: I thought the crazy thing was because my, my wife is a Lewis Hamilton fan. I know I've mentioned it before, and uh, thanks to like you know this, the the Netflix show and all of that stuff. And I know I can't imagine. I saw the it was like it was meme central this weekend because you had the Toto Wolf pointing at the microphone and yelling and all that stuff, and then you had the. Uh, because of the FIA and all the, like the rules regulations, Netflix is just sitting there rubbing their hands together. Like this is gold for television folks. And you know, like, that's the fun stuff that it is it. Cause the whole thing is entertainment. Like let's not forget that it's athletics, but it's, or, you know, it's motorsport, but it's, it's completely and utterly entertainment. There's a lot of money on the line, but it is entertainment. I thought it was just fascinating. I was glued to it because I wanted to see what was ha- what would happen, right? Cause there is a rivalry involved in all these different things. And, To me, the most impressive thing, I mean, the race was cool. You know, it's kind of one of the I as a a newer F1 fan, admit to that. I always assume that it's going to come down to like the last couple laps. And in many cases, it doesn't, because there's the there's the chain, like the pit lane, pitting, and all that stuff that goes into it, and tire changes and all those different elements of like the race. But to see the sprint and to see like those that 20 laps of just like all full blown holy crap, this guy's like flying through the field. You realize not only the, and this, you know, we can, I mean, we kind of relate to golf all the time whenever we get a chance to, but the engineering side of what goes into a car and what actually allows these these drivers to maximize their potential. Cause two examples that I looked at, and I was thinking about it this weekend was Alonzo and Vettel two former world champions who are like always passing people, always kind of like in the middle of the pack or towards the front of the pack. They're never around the last place. We've seen them lose out of races and things like that but it's because of their skill that is involved with their ability, but then how much that skill can be amplified with, you know, the the right equipment and how fine of a line it is, you know, when it comes to what an, what an MOI means on a putter and a miss hit or a stability shaft versus a normal steel shaft on a miss hit and all these little elements that add up and add up and add up and add up to these, you know, strokes gain at the end of the round, at the end of a 72 hole tournament, you've got someone who wins by a single shot or, or one or two shots or some type of like little miss that somehow, calculates to that one final shot. And then you have someone winning by a couple seconds over a race that's say 72, 74 laps, though that's where the seconds kind of add up. And I always I'm always appreciative of both the engineering side and as well as the driver's skill. But enough of the F1. I know we kind of got into that early, but we got we almost missed it on last week's show. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to kick it off with that. But this week in golf, we get a lot going on. And I think one of the biggest topics beyond Kokrak winning. What came from behind, which has been pretty impressive been a trend of his actually beaten down the door, a big bomber that happens to putt well, is another win by Nellie Corda. This girl's on fire. She's number one in the world and, you know, pretty impressive finish to the round, Mike. And you saw like made a triple on 17, had to birdie 18 to get into a playoff. And then from there, you know, it added up and it came down to, you know, at this at that point, obviously everyone has to make putts, but. The story of the kind of the week with someone kind of let it go was was Lexi Thompson, and I don't want to call it the yips, but she's had some really big problems this year and in previous years with the putting. Have you ever played with someone, Mike, that struggles with that, like those short putts when they kind of get into the pressure situation?
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've I've seen it. I've been a victim of it. um You know, if you're, you know, playing for obviously, I'm not playing for millions of dollars, but you know when you play for for something it you know and it means something to you obviously pressure comes in and you you do get a case of the wise unfortunately but uh I've well, seen... you don't even like
0: using the word eh, Mike? no <laughs> no i've it.
1: got uh i've got a good friend and uh i'm pretty sure a listener of the pod in rv you know him mr billy Leek. um he has a severe case of the wise um you know, unbelievable case of the wise so he uh It's not, it's not pretty to see. I mean, he says it's bad, but I've seen it's not that bad, but um, it's uh, it's definitely tough. And it's a tough one to, to knock away. And, you know, I've had customers come in for putter fits and they, you know, the first thing they say is, you know, the, you know, the Y word. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you look at their alignment, you look at, you know, what they're using and you go, this is totally wrong. And, you know, two months later, they call you back and they go, Hey, this is, this is a great change. Or, or they keep their putter and we've just made alignment changes. So, um, I know, I know Lexi, uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's friend is dating Lexi basically. And, and I know they've been going through quite a few putters and stuff like that I think we talked about her putter at one point on a pod and she was using like a, a Golo circle T with, I can't remember if it was a knuckle neck or I don't yeah. know what it was called. Um, but I do know she's been going through a ton of different putters right now.
0: I think it was a spider recently if i remember correctly from the highlights uh this week and you know she's messed with a bunch of different grips i can know i know from in past i've talked to people that have worked with like alongside of lexi's team that have helped come up with putters and things and just like other different ways and styles of trying things and it is it's not it's not fun to watch but you're just analyzing it like anybody else right we've seen players like um you know tiger struggle with the chipping yips i i'm not tiger by any means but I would say if there's any, if there's two parts of my game that I've, I've ever struggled with, the first one would be at one point was the driver and I would aim and I didn't know where it was going. And it went like, it went on like that for half a season. It was towards the end of a season. So I just kind of shut it down, which was kind of nice after doing that, anyways. And I'm not saying that it came back right away, but it, you know, it just was like a nice little reset to the system. I can distinctly remember playing with my dad. My dad's like a 15 handicap. And he beat me by like five or six shots because I was losing balls everywhere. And he literally said to me, he's like, I'm like, and I would, I, my, my whole trick is if I ever have an issue with a driver, I just kind of aim left and hit a heel cut, just hit this low, just try and hit a fairway. Right. And I would block these things like 40, 50 yards. Right. And then I'd snap hook one. And he's like, what are you doing? He's think of, look, man. If I knew what I was doing, do you think I'd be doing it? Do you think I'd want to hit a ball 50 yards freaking right of where I'm aiming and just blast it into that cornfield or wherever it happens to be or into the woods? Like, this is not my goal. And I had the same thing, I would say, four or five years ago with chipping. And I I was always a very confident pitcher of the golf ball around the greens. And it was kind of the open face, just hit more of like a flop shot if I was stuck in that situation. And it got to the point where, I don't know if it's because I didn't practice that much or just, you know, something got in my head. I was so scared of hitting an open face shot around the greens that I just reverted to just chipping everything. It wasn't like the chipping yips where it stopped me, but like I I wouldn't, I could set up and I would just basically, I would once in a while I'd hit a shank or I would go right underneath the ball because I was afraid of sculling it. And I had to change my short game. There was a period in there where like, I would only literally hit these like high kind of almost flippy pitches where I felt like I was closing the club face, but the leading edge wasn't exposed and it was freaky. It's so (laughs) it's scary. Like I know it sounds, it sounds again, it sounds silly and so minor because it's just a game of golf, but if you're out there trying to have fun, this can affect anyone's level of game. And you know, in some cases it shows up in the putting. Luckily for me, I've never had an issue with putting knock on wood, but it's for me, it's the chipping. It's like those little, little shots around the green, especially when grasses are changing all the time and through the season when it's wet. That to me is a freaking nightmare. You ever had the chipping ones, Mike? Or is it just like, you know, just nothing? No, you know, I mean, like even uh, using the
1: word? Knock on wood. You know, I really, you know, short game kind of saves me. So I really haven't had that uh, that happen to me. But, you know, there are days or there there can be a spell of, you know, you just, you're not comfortable hitting a certain shot that, it's hard to get through. And you just kind of have to go grind it out. That's the one thing I have, you know, people I know that have, you know, these issues, you know, they, they just, you never see them practice, um, that issue, you know, cause they're afraid of it. And, you know, if you, if you're, if you're shanking shots, you know, you know, just go with a wedge, just go practice that shot until it's, until it's no longer there. There's only way one way to to fix it, is to iron it out as, as much as you can. And we have to grind for it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not ideal when it happens, but uh, it there is a fix for it. That's then the fix is practice.
0: If anyone out there has paid attention to social media at all recently, like the golf social media space, whatever. Look, if you're struggling, just remember, Charles Barkley has his golf swing back. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> like he, the dude had struggled for so long. He was on the Haney Project. They had a whole TV show about it. They had him hitting zillions of golf balls on the range. Like, oh, we're just going to fix this. And that was, I don't know, that was at least a decade ago at this point. And I think it was David Toms in a pro-am or something. And I know on the, I think it's the Dan Patrick show, which is another podcast or radio sports sports talk show. Mm-hmm. Charles Barkley was just trash talking Dan. It's like, my swing is back, man. It's Not terrible anymore. Like he's, he's, uh, he's all set. And I think it was David Toms, the PGA tour, PGA tour champions or something from a pro-am. They're like, look, Charles, Charles is hitting, Shots, he finishing his golf swing and uh credit to, uh, of all Stan Utley. You know, I want to make sure I know Charles gave him a shout out and uh shout out to him. He, most people know Stan is like a short game coach, but, uh, he's obviously a full swing coach, well-known, uh, PGA tour player as well, which I think is really cool. He worked with Jay Haas on his putting as well. And a number of players, you know, there's Jay Haas. It's blasting the past. If you're looking for the, trying to figure out my age before I fit in on the PGA tour and who I know and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, if you're struggling, just remember Charles Barkley's got his golf swing back. So there's hope for absolutely everybody out there. Now, this week on social media, we both did our Q&A and we're going to dedicate the rest of today's show to answering very common listener questions. And, you know, hopefully we're not doubling up on ones we touched on in the past, but these are things that come up you know, fairly regularly and something that I think that We've both had questions. I don't know if they're from the same person or not when they asked them uh, because you know you can follow me along, RDS Brath on Twitter and Instagram. Recently, I've been posting some pictures of drivers balancing on a nail, which seems to be very interesting to a lot of people. Mike, where would people find you on Instagram? Simple, uh, simple tag, Mike TXG. I know you usually do your what, Q&As on Sunday? Generally, yeah. Generally on a Sunday, yeah. Right. I I try and stick mine to Thursday nights. I kind of go, you know, try and knock out a bunch as many as I can as quickly as possible. If you're asking about wedge shafts, the answer is S400. That might or may not be an inside joke to anyone who's listening. Uh, But let's get into it. And the first off is simple one. But What do you use when you are doing paint fill on irons? What do you use to pull out old paint if it is? Or what do you do when you're stamping new clubs and you're putting paint in them? What's your go to paint for that? Uh, Go to paint. uh, I use two. well, I use three.
1: Um, If I'm trying to hit a color that's requested by a customer, I will go to Home Depot. I will take that Pantone color and get a a tester sample um, of paint. Um, I I always find doing that, especially like Tiffany blue and stuff like that. There's a certain blue that's just hard to make or hard to find. So easier to see it made by bear.
0: That Um, was an absolute bespoke experience, Mike. I am. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, I've done it a couple times for some, for some clients and, um, I had someone, I stamped dots all over and it's funny, I actually have one here. I'm not flexing, but I had someone out wanted the number 100 stamped on his wedge, but he wanted it the color of a hundred dollar bill. And that, that beige is actually a Brown and you can find that color at Home Depot under Bear. I have I still have a very small tub of it, um, that and it's a latex based paint, so it actually dries really hard and stuff like that. It turned out wicked. It actually looked really good. Um, but that was that was a couple years ago. I'll use nail polish from the dollar store. Um, you get weird looks when there's a guy grabbing eight nail polishes and checking out at the dollar store, and that's it. Um, and then I'll use the odd Sharpie paint pen as well for, for quick stuff. I'm, I'm not a fan to be honest with you. If I'm painting like call it, you know, where there used to be black paint fill putting in red, to be honest with you, sometimes I do not strip the paint. Um, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of painting over if it's very small, um, for some stuff is too shallow and to me, it doesn't dry properly. doesn't sit properly, but nine times out of 10, I just let a club sit in acetone for, Five minutes, and take a little toothpick and pick away, and, and the paint generally falls out all in one piece.
0: That's nothing with a decal, and that's not a metal wood. Let's just be very yeah. clear to everyone who's listening that that is uh, that is not how you want to take out anything with a decal. You do not want to have it sit acetone, or that decal and everything else is going to fall apart with any of that glue uh, or anything that's got a slot in it as well. That is not a good idea. Um, now that you've told me that you have the perfect color of hundred dollar bills, I will be sure to never accept. Any weird looking hundred dollar bills from you, if you go to you know decide to start printing some in your basement, Mm, Uh, I myself, I go very simple. I go to like the acrylic paint, which also happens to be nail polish. Uh, A lot of times you just go, you know, the grocery store I go has a bunch of different brands or whatever. You just buy the cheapest one. It sounds silly, but that's the case. It comes in a bunch of different cool colors. And lucky for me, they come with their own little tiny brushes, which I happen to love. Uh, I know someone I literally posted a picture of my like little stash of nail polish. And I was like, this is it. Seriously. There's no fancy trick. I know if you're for yourself matching colors or someone like Anthony Taranto has got like a whack load of these like cool paint pens that I've seen where they do custom mixes and stuff like that. I've tried using those. I know Scotty Cameron, a lot of, or just like most OEMs use some type of those little like needle bottles, but if you're not doing it that often, it's not like super necessary, but it is one of those things where, you know, if you're really into it and you do a lot of it, it's something that you can do, but you know, if you're just doing it at home, nail polish works like a charm. Now, another one is, uh, you know, this could be, you can look at this a couple different ways, but, you know, how, how does iron shaft weight relate to a fitting? And the reason this came up was someone asked me, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on this after you explain, but if I have a hundred gram or 110 gram C taper light, And I had a hundred gram C taper regular. One is a stiff and one is a regular flex. Could they technically work for the same person because they're the, the, the same weight. So like that person could kind of fit into that, like depending on, you know, other elements of their swing. And, you know, I had a, a very descriptive answer for talking about something like a C taper regular, which fits into a very unique category, but how do you figure out working? How does someone fit into a shaft weight category? That's really the question there is. Do you look at their, their load profile? Is it their, their swing speed? Like what is it for you that, that kind of dials that in for a player? Yeah. I mean, the,
1: the first one you kind of jump towards is, is speed. Um, and you know, throughout a fit, sometimes I'll grab stuff that's maybe 10 grams lighter than what they use and 10 grams heavier than what they use and and kind of give them, start giving them some feels. I like customers that can give me some feedback and, and kind of express what they're feeling throughout a fitting um, but speed's generally a, a pretty dead giveaway where someone can fit within shafts. Now between those two shafts, you know if one's a regular and one's a stiff, that one o five regular is not a hundred is not one hundred and five grams, and that one o five stiff is not one hundred and five grams. It's in that ballpark of the one o five range. I know someone asked me the other day, um, you know what's the difference between a one o five MMTS and a one o five. MMTTX and obviously MMTTX is 115 and uh 105 s is it's just a little under 105 grams um closer to the hunt rounded hundred number so there's always different weights it's not bang on that that weight that's stated it's a it's a ballpark but also you look at different bend profiles and you know wall thickness and and how those react for different players that's that's where yes they are the same weight category but they technically are Two completely different, two completely different shafts.
0: It's almost like there is uh, like a strength or a load profile, as we kind of touched on, right? In that uh, one question I was like, Oh, I play like a 105 and a modus. And then it's like, you know, there's there's 95 grams options in True Temper or Graphite, or how does that work? It's like, well, a lot of 95 gram Graphite shafts are actually extremely stiff. Now you can get regular flex and lighter weight ones, but if you're looking at 100-gram steel versus 100-gram graphite, the 100-gram graphite is almost always going to be way, way stiffer because by design, those weights are designed for players that are looking for something kind of in a quote-unquote slightly lighter than tour weight but want something that offers like a tour-level performance. And whereas a 105 steel is probably something that's going to be a little bit softer, you've got some varying wall thicknesses there that are going to help with feel, which is another big element of you know dialing in that, that exact weight. And to, to speak like right to the, the C taper example, or, you know, you could, you could, I could use an R300 as an, as a component, as a different level kind of thing. But if you've got a shaft that is designed to be lighter weight and higher launching or like a mid, we'll call these mid-weight shafts. So you've got a mid-weight shaft that's designed to be higher launching. That shaft profile in general is going to be softer because the, the walls are designed to be like, you know, thinner to help create that that flight they're going to play softer they're going to feel softer to that player and their tempo might be say moderate to not quite not quick you're probably trending towards the moderate profile of like a loader so you know they get to the top and they kind of gradually get into the ball now if we're talking about the c taper profile in general we're talking about hitters people that are very quick at the top quick quick loaders and in that case someone who doesn't have the speed is is still not probably going to fit into something like a a C taper profile. The example I, when someone asked this question was "Have you ever fit the C taper regular? And I said, honestly, I probably never put it in someone's hands ever to fit into that. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. You can do that. Uh, Jim Furyk for a long time, I think used uh, some type of KBS shaft in a regular flex parallel and they tipped it stiffer. So you can do that, but it's not a, it's not an end-all be-all where like someone's going to fit into it. Cause like, if you look at the way shafts used to be done to 15, well, say 20 years ago, now you walk in, you go, well, there's an S 300 and an R 300. Well, you're regular. Well, yeah, but they still both weigh 130 freaking grams. Like they're not the same thing. And how many times I, I can, I can't think in the last decade, I've actually fit someone into an R 300 golf shaft ever. I know that they exist out there if you want it, but I can think of very, very few people unless someone is is determined to have a heavier golf club that would fit into a golf shaft like that. Can you, do you do a lot of like, if you get, cause you do a lot, you fit a lot more people than I do. Have you done a lot of like heavyweight, regular flex shafts for anybody?
1: No. And to be honest with you, I, you know, am more in charge of the demo matrix now. And, and we don't really have, I, no, we don't really have any one of any heavy, regular flex shafts. I mean, yeah, no, I, we, no, we don't even, we don't really carry them. And, and for just for the rarity of that, that case. And I mean, if we need to go something heavier then we can always, we can always try weights and, you know, soft step, hard step, or, or, you know, make that strong recommendation or what you fit for, we can guarantee that, um, in the fitting, but yeah, no, we don't offer, um, we don't offer those. So, I mean, I don't think, I don't even think I've, i fit anyone to to something like that, but I have heard of the concept.
0: Yeah. And it, the only time I can think of it being very practical and this is again, a, a very small case, but if you have someone who's, who's rather short or using shorter golf clubs because they want something that's heavier, they're trying to maintain a weight, but they, they need something that might be a little bit softer as well. And so there's yeah. like your example of, you know, we'll help keep the club feeling a little bit heavier, but it's going to be shorter. So naturally it's going to want to play lighter. We don't choose a bunch of tip weight, but uh, it is, it's those like very far ends of the bell curve, which, in a lot of cases, these shafts are not going. and if there is someone on the end of the bell curve, I can almost guarantee you that you can find something that's going to work just as good or not better in something that's going to be something more towards the middle that's you know designed to be tweaked for another player. And that's where club fitting and club building plays such an important role in that. Uh, now, this is another one that I always think is is actually like very interesting and for you because you deal with like golfers almost every day. How would you tell someone to prepare for a fitting? We've got a video on this on the TXG YouTube channel. You can check it out there. But what would be your advice to someone who's not gone for a fitting or hasn't been for a fitting in a long time to go through the process of no. quote unquote, preparing for their fitting, you know, a couple of days before, whatever it happens to be, because a lot of people get nervous about the process and they do a lot of things maybe wrong or that could hurt them, you know, going into it. So what would be your tips and tricks, Mike, for, for someone who's, who's either, you know, gone into fit or just is ready to get fit? Yeah. I mean, you know, the odd time that, you know, the phone
1: rings in the studio and I pick up and, you know, I book you for a fitting, you know, you know, a couple months in advance kind of thing, you know, customers always ask, you know what? What? What do I need to bring? Um, and obviously, we we've gone through. You know, bring your clubs and you know, clean golf shoes. I can't emphasize that enough. I got a good vacuum, but please bring clean, damn golf shoes. No mud. No. Don't bring the golf course with you, please, for the love of God. Um, but other than that, I mean, you don't need to come dressed up like you're going to play on tour. Come in workout clothes, gym clothes, whatever you're comfortable swinging golf clubs in. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those where you have to be comfortable in that environment. It is a, it is like a testing lab. When you, when you look at a place like MedCan in, in Toronto, when you're doing, you know, the beep tests and your heart monitor and stuff, I mean, it's not that in depth, but you have to be in more comfortable clothing. Um, so when you're coming in to do the fitting at with a TXG, like come in comfortable, don't come in nervous. I've had two ladies the past three weeks that have come in where the one lady was shaking um, and I kind of knew her personally. So I was like, listen, don't be nervous. Let's just sit down. Let's just chat before, you know, her husband was there. Coach was there. Um, you know, we were, we were trying to just relax or to, to get her comfortable because and it's not just ladies, it's guys do that. They come in expecting to hit it 500 yards. You're not here to impress me. I'm here to impress you with any of the best golf clubs possible. Um, so it's, it's one of those where, you know, just come in, have fun you know, shoot the breeze with the boys and we work, we all have a good time. Um, but yeah, just, just come in with the swing you got and listen, if we have to rebook or relook at your, at your game and then, you know, in a future date, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but yeah, just come in and have some fun.
0: That was a uh, absolutely great advice. I that was a corporate look.
1: answer right there. That was
0: great, Mike. That was fantastic. And I think that's important. I think, you know, when you look at the actual data, for the, the whole of golfers. Right. And, you know, we, we sit in and I think people think that we sit in this little bubble of low handicap players. And I can think of, and I'll be very brutally honest, when I started in golf retail, because a lot of the people that I play golf with were say sub 10 handicap players. And I was probably around a five, six, seven kind of thing. I thought, okay, well, like this, this is all the golfers that I play with. This is what golfers, this is what most golfers are like when they go to a store or they go for a fitting or whatever it happens to be. So when I went into like started working in big box, I can remember my first three or four weeks. And I I remember going to this store as a kid, and like you'd have like one or two people come over when you're hitting shots, and like I'm not like again, not because I'm there to impress people, because it's like like all this like kid is hitting it 240 yards, the driver, and you're like, Well, that doesn't seem that big of a deal. Like, I feel like a lot of the people that I play with hit it that far, but they're there because they're excited because they're, you know, they're helping another golfer out. It's really the whole thing, right? And what I'm getting at is I assume that, you know, I'd be fitting people that are five, six, seven handicaps and realize that's actually a really small part of that that bell curve I talked about earlier, but it doesn't mean that, you know, the goal is not to help somebody improve. The goal is not to be judgmental of any golfer in any case, because I, I mean, I play with scratch golfers. I play with golfers that are 25 handicaps. You know what I do every time I have a freaking blast. I have a fun, I have fun because we're all playing the same game. We can all play. That's the, that's the fun thing about golf. You can play on the same golf course. you can be completely different skill levels it's not like you have an NHL team playing against a rec team and they're both trying to win. Cause let me tell you, the NHL team is going to just crush them <laughs> like, yeah. and that's no fun. That's no fun to watch. That's no fun to be a spectator. That's no fun to be on basically either team, but if you can go out and play golf and you know, ping has this really cool adaptive golf program where they help people with, uh, who play in, in wheelchairs and, and play with prosthetics and all these different things. And Paul Wood has said it a number of times, and Paul Wood is an engineer at Ping. He's he's really helps with a lot of this adaptive golf program. And it's the fact that I can go with my friends, and we can all play the same sport. We're all on the level playing field, and that's one of the things I love about golf, just in general. I'm going off on this big diatribe now of like things that I love about golf. But what happens is, is the fact that you know, this is just about being comfortable. Your game is your game, and we're here as fitters to help out. I I just thought that was a great answer, Mike, and kind of sent me down that rabbit hole because. Yeah. Clean shoes. 100%. I think we've already, I think last time I was there, we had to buy a new vacuum. I think we finally blew out the old one and it wasn't there for that long. Was it? We have a beautiful shark vacuum. I will make a recommendation from Costco. (laughs) The shark
1: 10,000 is the best shark I've ever seen. It is got a carpet setting. It blows Dyson out of the water. So if you're in the market for a vacuum or shark would like to sponsor this, the shark 10,000 is really good.
0: We'll say no free ads, but shout out to Costco because uh, I know that uh, they make good wedges too, right? And as well as good a hot dog and a pop for here. two bucks. It's a good time. Uh, that's a good point. And again, the the whole thing is, and the other thing I would add is just don't go hit a million golf balls the day before. I'm like, you just want to be comfortable. Like, just think of like your normal range session. You're going to do that, except someone's going to be there and they're going to be guiding you through the process. They are there to guide you. They're not there to judge you. They're there to help. They are a Sherpa of golf equipment. Now to my next question, Mike, which I think is, uh, this is one that I got. I think you got the same question too. I'm not going to say it was in the same person. Uh, double so, yeah. Hey, you know what? Maybe we have the same answer that, you know, if, if anything, I think we actually did have the same answer, which actually right. validates everything that we hopefully try and achieve around here. And that is if you're moving like from, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. different parts of the country or wherever it happens to be around the world, maybe and your playing conditions are really changing, what is the first part of your golf equipment that you're going to change? Like, what is the very first thing that's going to help with scoring and eliminate frustration with your golf game? Um,
1: I'm going to say, and only because I've, you know, growing up, I spent a lot of time in the Carolinas. So, you know, obviously Bermuda grass is, is different. Um, I will say if, if I'm in that, if I'm in that scenario, I'm going to go, I'm going to go play five rounds of golf with my Northeast set of golf clubs. And uh, I'm going to go see where my game excels and where my game struggles. And it could be completely different just because of turf and, and sand. And, you know, you're, you've come from a place that's Parkland and no wind to an open field on the ocean. That's now windy. And you, you need to learn how to play with wind. So figure out what the conditions are first. And then I'm probably going to look at wedges are going to be number one for me, mostly the scoring wedges 56, 60, 54, 58, whatever that is. Um, and then understand the type of sand that you use. Cause that's a big one. Um, and then, and then obviously that, you know, you know, if you're, if you're call it your quote unquote home, home course, if you have a home course has a couple different challenges where there's more water or whatnot in play. Um, you know there's there's definitely that you know don't want to call it a layup club but you need to have a couple of clubs that can play around the golf course a lot a lot safer than what it did let's say where you previously played so my rule of thumb is play play a few rounds before you really change anything cuz you might go down there and to be honest with you everything might click everything might work you're happy with your clubs you can kind of show your way around the golf course and train your train yourself to adapt to to those different conditions um, but I would say there's always going to be, uh, there's always going to be a wedge change, whether it's bounce and grind, um, would be the most important. I've got a, I've got a Bermuda wedge. I've got a, an artisan 60 degree wedge that only works in Bermuda grass. Um, and that sounds crazy, but it's, uh, it's true. It It, it is the, it's the PGA show magic wand. And it, uh, it does, it does the trick when we're
0: down there that to me is, is my go-to answer I answered wedges. When this person asked this question, I don't know if we answering the same question for the same person or not, but I said wedges only because of grass type for, if you ever follow the PGA tour, there are players that excel on different grass types because they are, you know, they grew up in there or they went to college in that, that like climate or where they, they use that grass type uh, a great example. And I, I think it was a, a Justin Ray stat, great follow on Twitter with all kinds of like ridiculous statistics from the PGA tour is that sam burns is the best putter on bermuda grass by a long shot um his stats so far this year where he's won and how he's played almost all of his top finishers are on courses that have bermuda greens because it does take a skill to read them and there's a certain element of being able to putt on those greens as well just by in, you know pace up and down hills and side hills and grain and all those different elements and for me it's the wedges because i never really experienced it again i when I was a kid, I played in Florida with my family. Like, you know, I bring my clubs. we play like maybe once or twice, but I was never really good enough to even understand the difference or kind of really mess around with it too much. I would just know that you'd get these, these fun little fluffy lies where the grass was like knotted and you just try and like, I was, for me, it was always just fun to try and hit these big flop shots out of this thing all the time. I didn't care. I was fearless. I was a kid. And, uh, as soon as the recent trip to Pinehurst where we, I know, uh, very much enjoyed, my chipping around the, the cradle, the first place we went was the crater, or actually we did play one other golf course. We played number three first, but then playing there and then at the cradle, like, I stubbed chips like right off the bat, like pitch shots, 30, 40 yard pitch shots. And you'd think you had a decent line. If you got just a hair early, it was just like stub. I was like, what am I doing? Like there must be something. And I went home and I was like literally researching that evening. on Like, what is the difference with the grass? Because there is a big playing element with the style. Now, if you're someone who's very adaptive to your stroke style, then you can kind of change up how you hit shots, how you use the bounce. But if you're someone who is, and I think, um, always jokes, calls the tie spinner where it's going to dig. So he just intentionally digs it in. Anyways, it's kind of became this funny thing that he talked about in the video. And then people were trying it where you basically intentionally just jam the wedge into the ground behind the ball. You know, it's going to stick, expect the stick and just get the ball to kind of come out spinning. I don't recommend that for higher handicap players or anybody who's not cured at Shabby rat. Uh, I tried it once. It's uh, it's effective when it works, but it's uh, extremely unaffected if you screw that Yeah, shot. I
1: remember uh, the old tie spinner um, last winter. Um, actually, we were in lockdown and Ian and I were in the Bay and we were chatting with Gareth and I built Gareth a ping demo matrix for wedges with some shafts and some heads with club connects and he was he does a lot of testing and he was trying with a lot of his members and stuff like that and he built um we built him like a one of the stock shafts graphite alta and he's like cut it short um and we'll see it doesn't obviously he was playing the short wedge and and then we put one of those fuji practice shafts in them the pink one the super soft one and it was super short it was like I don't know, 33 inch, 60 degree wedge. And we were hitting a couple of tie spinners of that thing and man, oh man, did it spin. I mean, it was 11, 12,000 RPMs of spin. And <laughs> even, on the, even on the GC quad, the thing was, you could hear it spinning in the bay after it hit the, uh, hit the screen, which is pretty cool. But it is very hard to do. And I wasn't as successful as I'd like to be, but there was a couple that we got uh, spinning quite a bit.
0: That and to me, the other thing is, the, you know, to you exactly to your point, right? Is in some cases, it's irons. We have a video on it on the TXG YouTube channel, not to plug another one, but uh, Colin Morikawa changed at the uh, Open mm. Championship and he won. Yeah. He played the week before, realized that something wasn't right with his irons. They built him some new short irons. He obviously went on to win, which is very impressive. But when you're, it, and it doesn't mean you have to be a PGA Tour player to notice these kind of things. Like if you, if you went from, you, if you go play and, the, uh, the Northwest or sorry, nor- or Northeast, right? You play where it's, it's generally wet. You're not playing on sandy soil that drains well. And then you go to Scotland in the summer in a drought, or you go to play the dry sand belt golf courses or any place that's just dry or Texas in July. I mean, I'm sure you're driving around in a cart anyways, it's probably 145 degrees, but the whole thing is that like the ground is so firm. You're going to wonder like, Why, why does the shot feel this way? Or why does the shot hit this way on the club face? And it's very easy to perceive those things when you go to the extremes. So it's just a matter of dialing in what those in-between feelings are to be able to have, you know, to your point, again, I have a different wedges. If it gets very, very firm, which doesn't happen very often, I do have a low bound six degree wedge that I use, but I also know if it's really wet, I will grab a wide sole, 60 or 58, whatever happens to be, because it makes a massive difference. And, you know, might use it once or twice around, but it does make a noticeable difference when you're using it properly. And I think to, to me, for most players, you know, we're not expecting to change your driver when you can adjust the loft on your driver, which I think is very important. You know, you can adjust the loft on your driver, most fairy woods, even some hybrids. So if you're, yeah. you know, you're playing in wind or whatever happens to be, you can do those adjustments pretty quickly. But when it comes to a wedge, I would say the lob wedge or the sand wedge would be the one club. If you have an extra club, if you're going to invest in like an extra quote unquote club, it would be that, or now I've never played a lot of desert golf, Mike, but the desert club for both really, um, you know, crappy lies out in the, in the gravel of the desert. And then to, you know, kill rattlesnakes, right?
1: Yeah. If, uh, if I'm getting that close to rattlesnake, there's not enough keto's that can save me from the, from the, the scaries of the snake. Don't do snakes folks. It's uh it's not my thing.
0: It looks good on a wallet, a wallet or a belt, but that's about it. <laughs> I can, I can distinctly remember, uh, playing up North and it was, um, it was uh, the, the club link Grandview. It was just, it was Grandview up North in Huntsville. Uh, does anyone know that's a couple hours north of Toronto? It's just a pretty cool golf course designed by Marco Mayer. The last hole sucks. Just, uh, I'm just going to pretense that. I haven't played in a long time, but it sucks. It's just par five that's like straight up a hill, like literally up a hill. Um, anyways, I digress. And I was, I hit one off into the into the woods, and I'm looking for my golf ball, very much like resort style, big wide fairways. I still happen to miss one. And I'm kind of down this little ravine in this sunny spot. And I would say it was probably a garter snake. It's like 18 inches long. I came flying out of those woods so freaking fast, Mike. <laughs> like, what'd you, yeah. what was it? What was it? And like, in all seriousness, there are bears in these, like, in some of these places, right? Like, you could go, and I'm like, it was a snake. They're like, was it a bear? Because we've seen bears in the Gulf Coast where I'm like, no, no, it was a, It was an 18-inch snake. And they're like, you said you're such a wuss. And I was like, you know what? I am a wuss. I hate snakes. I don't want to see them. I don't want to touch them. I want to have nothing to do with the snake unless it's, you know as you say, on a belt or a nice pair of shoes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but this brings us to the last topic of the of the day, uh, which I think is kind of interesting because we, we did touch on F1 off the top. And that is, you got any interesting builds on the go? I always ask. But the reason I, I want to bring this up, because I know we're always building golf clubs in the shop. I know I got some stuff that I'm working on, which, you know, again, I'll touch on after you. But uh, is there something that stands out or something that, Made a noticeable improvement, or if it just happens to be like a, we'll call it the the feature fit of the week, where you change someone's whatever whatever club it happens to be, and they and they definitely saw a big improvement. Did I chat last week about the guy I fit for an Autoflex?
1: No. Okay, so this customer of mine, I fit him four and a half years ago. He was one of my first fits in the Burlington studio, so probably five years ago, for a G four hundred with a TPT sixteen low or something like that hit it great still has it hits it pretty good kind of it's it like 245 yards total 250 call it and uh he comes in with that driver a pxg 0211 and that's it and he's he's got a he's got like a really long shaft in the in the pxg and it just wasn't working it was spinning like crazy and the G four hundred shaft was really spinny for him and just different and, but he's like I really like the feel of this long shaft in the PXG. I was like all right, well let's try, Autoflex, um, and he's just one of those guys, good senior player, knows how to control strike on the club face. I was like let's try Autoflex. I could kept I kept seeing him look at the wall, so I was like we'll pull the Pink Panther and let him try it anyways. Um, took put the autoflex in his pxg driver saw a couple miles an hour boost like three four miles an hour right out of the gates and he kind of looked at me because distance started to improve and um it was uh it was a 10-5 head and i lowered it down and it just was still spinning a lot and we tried his his uh i have found an old ping adapter for club Connect. So we tried it in a g400 and just didn't work and i was like let me just grab you a head that i think going to work so i grabbed nine degree epic max ls and i lowered it and he picked up like nine miles an hour out of the gates and, and we're talking ball speed here. Right. Yeah. And yeah. he kind of looks at me and I look at him and he goes, Holy. Blank. And I was like, <laughs> okay. It's i me." editing
0: on the back end. Mike, it really does. I'm like, ah, oh,
1: that's just pure luck. Right. He hits it like 10 times in a row and he looks at me and, and he, so he's, he's picked up no word, of, no word of a lie. He's picked up 30 yards on his driver and he was going to play that day and he was like, perfect. He's like, I got to run to the club. He's like, I'll take it. I'll take 10 of them. Um, really excited. Appreciate it. Gives me a hug. And I, and I, as he's leaving after he's paid, I said, enjoy hitting it 30 yards shorter this afternoon. And he tells me to go F myself and then left. And he's picked up the driver now and he's pretty happy with it. He's already played twice with it. And you know, he's loving it. He says he's bombing it. So the pink Panther strikes again. And, uh, it was the, uh, that was the big fiddle last week. It was, uh, it was a nice one to see.
0: I had someone actually ask uh, reach out on Instagram this week and they had asked me if I had tried the shaft and I have tried it. I've tried it a number of times, a couple different flex options. And for me, it just doesn't, doesn't work that well for me. same. Uh, same. yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, because of my tempo and transition at the top. It doesn't tend to work for my golf swing. It feels really cool if I slow down, I can see like a speed increase, although I've slowed down to then see that speed increase. But uh, someone reached out and they're like, have you tried it? Like, I couldn't believe it. I've done stack training and I've, I've gotten this, this new shaft. I'm like, I've picked up some miles per hour and I've, I've literally picked up, I think we said four more miles per hour ball speed The last. I, I got it. I built it up. I got fit into this thing. I can't believe it. So all together with stacking this thing, I picked up, you know, close, I feel like at least 10 miles per hour of ball speed right away. And those are the things that is always fun to hear from people. Now, this is a very, this is like one product we're talking about, but this applies to almost any time you get fit, which I always think is really cool because there are, I had someone talk to me this week and they, we, I was doing a, a bit of a virtual fit with somebody. We are going back and forth uh, over emails and, the question was I have like a 13 degree or 14 degree fairy wood. I love it. It goes, almost goes as far as my driver, but I can't hit it off the deck. What do you think? These are the shafts that I like and I recommended they they were kind of set on a certain OEM. So I said like you know try the the Titleist Tsi two 165. You can kind of crank it open you can you can add some loft or decrease some loft on it if you want, change the line angle and go try and let me know what you think right? I know you have access to some shafts of your club and they just have a, they have a like a fitting cart. So like, they kind of let you a la carte cool, kind of mess around and then let me know. Next thing you know, email the next day. Can't believe it. You're so right on the thing. And I like, so right on that. And I, you know, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but it's, it's the perception that a player has about what their own game is and how that works, which I always think is really cool. And I couldn't imagine, first of all, the language that was probably used. I know you kind of touched on it, but like the look on that player's face when like. 10 miles per hour is nothing to sniff at like yeah. that is game changing ball speed. And so I guess the next question is, I guess this guy needs a new fairway. <laughs> yeah. My, my
1: guy, he, uh, he got fit for a fairway. He came in a couple days later and we got him into a epic speed, uh, three wood with a Ventus red in there. And, uh, he's coming in for hybrids and irons next week. And you know, he's, uh, he's pumped, but you're right. 10, 10 I me mean, 10 miles an hour, you know, honestly five to 10 miles an hour consistently straight and long is, is no, nothing to balk at. I mean, you take with what you can get. And I know some companies every year, like, you know, 10 yards longer and 15 yards longer, but honestly, like this is, that's game changing for people. I mean, the things I would honestly do for 10 miles an hour like that is, is actually disgusting. So, um, you know, if you get, if you get something like 10 miles an hour, throw your wallet at the fitter as fast as you can um, and ask if you can have it for that afternoon because it's it's impressive.
0: And there's a you no. Know, i I'm going to do it one more time because I just, I shared, I re-shared it today. and I think this is very important is um, on the Instagram page, on the, TX, the official TXG Instagram page. I shared one of our, it actually is our most popular video of all time. It's got over 700,000 views at this point, And it's all about T height. Now we talk mm. about, we talk about equipment all the time. We talk about this shaft and, you know, I know we, we, again, the auto shaft auto flex shaft is not an inexpensive piece of golf. It is one of the most expensive golf shafts uh, that we carry that you're know, going to find in the marketplace. So, you know, let's be very clear on that. Like a lot of the stuff we talk about in many cases can be expensive or buying a new wedge or buying a new ferrywood, wood, all of these things. We're not here to be like completely obtuse to the fact that new equipment costs money. So let's get that right out the door. But the one thing that you can always do to help pick up ball speed and help pick up distance is understand where you, and you touched on it, Mike, controlling where you hit it on the club face and what your tee height can do. Because uh, as Ian said, it's an older video. It's always kind of fun. Matt, the Iron Byron was out there hitting it all over the club face where he wanted to at the time to demonstrate and was using different tee heights. And the difference in distance was over 30 yards from best to worst. Yeah. Now, if you think of what 30 yards means to someone that is not even close to being optimized because they're just hitting it low on the club face or whatever it happens to be, or hot heel or toe, or whatever it is, this is a massive change that you can make without buying a single piece of golf equipment. All you need to do is buy some freaking range balls and learn to hit the certain spots on your driver face. And this goes into something that I posted. On Instagram this week, I continue to post about it because it's been, you know, kind of obsessive at this point. Now, is I put a nail into my workbench. I know we we joked about this because we've done this in the past, and you literally balance club heads on using the face on the. For me, it's a nail, so it's a finishing nail with a very, very tiny one millimeter circle on the top. So we're we're basically, and what we're doing is we're finding the sweet spot of the driver. So. If you were to hit the driver in that spot on the clubhead, you would experience zero gear effect. Like if you dime it, like literally in that little tiny spot, you won't get any left or right. You're basically get a perfectly straight golf shot, barring everything else being equal. Yeah. And if you hit above that spot, you're going to hit launch it higher and spin it less. So you hit it below that spot, you're going to launch it, um, wait, higher and you're going to get gear effect. And yeah, you'll launch it lower and hit it with more spin. Sorry. Yeah. So all of those elements, when you're able to combine them, can help you play better golf. So that's just, that's a little tip I want to know. I know we talk about a lot of equipment, talk about things that can often be very expensive. And some people have said that in the past. I've heard people say like, yeah, it's great. You can do that, but it costs you like $1,000 for your driver. In a lot of cases, it doesn't. Now, fitting can always help, but understanding your equipment, which is what we are here to do to always help communicate, can be one of the biggest things that's going to help you play better golf. So I'm going to finish on that. Mike, you got anything else for the people this week? No,
1: just have a good week. Hopefully hit some golf balls, listen to some Christmas music because it's Christmas time. Uh, But no,
0: other than that, thanks for listening. Do you have a, okay, okay, I did this last time. I'm going to do it again, Mike. Do you have a favorite Christmas episode or show or whatever it happens to be or a song? Because I want to hear favorite Christmas song. I want to know favorite Christmas television show. And, um, you know, do you have like an album as well? I know I said song, but you got like a whole album. What, what are your go-tos here? Like I need to know what's, what's list. What do you, what do you listen to this holiday season?
1: Song would be, uh, a little uncle Dean Martin, uh, silver bells. Um, maybe a little silent night if we're getting all religious, um, Christmas movie. Jeez. Um, I mean, you know, oh man, uh, the holiday got- is probably my f- one of my favorites. The good old Cameron Diaz, if that's a that's one you watch in slow motion. Um, four Christmases, um, a Christmas Carol, a Muppet's Christmas Carol. Oh, see, you're um, your
0: finest spot to my heart, Mike. That's my absolute that's, uh, favorite those- Christmas movie is Muppet Christmas Carol.
1: Yeah, those are pretty good. Um, you know, you can't go wrong with little Michael Buble at Christmas. I mean, the guy's got the voice of a friggin' angel. Um, <laughs> What else, what else? no, that would be it. I don't really have any favorite like t v series Christmas I mean mr bean's Christmas is always is always a laugh. um the still game, uh I guess not Christmas but it's the hugman a uh episodes are always pretty good um so yeah, I and mean, Christmas this time of year, I mean the tree at work will be going up this week um the tree at the house will be going up, so <laughs> it's uh it's Christmas time, baby I'm excited
0: we got we got our wreath up today. Uh, we've got, uh, some, some, what are the, 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 the garland that's going up. We got the fresh yeah. stuff around the house only. Cause I just hate the plastic stuff and it's all sticky. I'd rather just vacuum up real stuff, like to be completely yeah. honest with you. hundred percent. And then, uh, yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol is always great. The one that I got into like late, although I'm not like super old is it's a wonderful life. Mm. Um, I know that you know, it does, you know, you can make the joke, die hard, whatever, but I've actually never seen die hard. I'll be really honest. Maybe Me I've never seen it. I don't know. Whatever. Bruce Willis. Maybe wins, maybe that's Bruce the Willis that's dies the and Hans Gruber falls off the building. Like I already know the ending, like it doesn't really matter. Hope Spoiler alert for the 30 year old movie. Um, And the, yeah, the Muppet Christmas Carol and the thing I love about the Muppet Christmas Carol is like the Muppets are fun, like the lamp, not the rat. You got Rizzo falling into all that stuff. Gonzo's great, but it's Michael Caine's performance he plays it perfectly straight. Like he doesn't, he's not with the Muppets. He's like, he's talking to screen. He's talking to all the, go- he plays it so straight to me that it's like, just, it's brilliant. And I love, I love that. That's like, just to me, it's, I put it on, I watched it a couple times. I got, I got my, my wife and daughter already singing along to Michael Buble over and over and over and over and over again. That's, I don't know how many, I don't know what his royalty is for streaming, but I'm sure he just, he's going to go buy another Ferrari at the, at the next cut every week. He's going to go buy another Ferrari or whatever he wants to get. Um mm-hmm because uh he's got to be making so much money off that thing
1: we need to make the intro music for the podcast for the month of now to christmas a little christmas jingle
0: we'll get we'll get gabe right on it we'll get our producer uh, gabe galucci shout out i know he, he helps with a lot of the episodes and a lot of the audio and uh shout out to him thank you for that and uh with that dot christmas we talked f1 we talked fitting we talked all kinds of stuff mike always a pleasure everyone have a great week